Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Revive Stronger podcast. I was almost going to say Revive to Stage, but that is the uh, that's the side podcast. And I'm your host, Steve Hall, and I'm very happy again to have Broderick Chavez over here from Evil Genius Radio. Um, and well, Evil Team Evil, Evil Genius as in general. And um, hopefully you guys have, from last time, been able to find him, been able to find not only his podcast, uh, which has some fantastic episodes on it, and I'm always looking to, hopefully, Broderick will do some more, or we just have to keep putting him on our podcast. Um, and yeah, been able to check out his website and all that good stuff. But today, we wanted to get him on again, because I have had a recent consult with Broderick, and ever since our chat last time, um, I'm fascinated with kind of the amount of knowledge and kind of practical help he can provide me and I know he can provide you guys with that same practical help um, and something we'd been talking about last time is how the scale isn't necessarily always the best marker of even like body composition changes fat loss muscle gain we all know we've heard about kind of oh you try and lose this much fat in a week and that equates to this on the scale or you try and gain at this rate per month um, and sometimes it just doesn't work out like that uh, and Broderick has some great ideas and ways of measuring these things um, that I think will help the listeners that have helped me. So Broderick, first of all, um, what kind of markers do you use with your athletes um, to change kind of, I mean, to, to measure change in body composition um, that you find most beneficial? Well, it, it, honestly, it, it really depends first on what you're talking about as far as athlete, because I personally deal with a lot of varieties of athletes, bodybuilders, physique athletes, uh, powerlifters, strongmen, you know, track and field, um, even randomly, you know, uh, football and soccer. So mm -hmm. it's it really is somewhat dependent on is exactly who you're talking about and what their goals and their strategies are. But to kind of answer the question you've actually asked, um, I don't turn my nose up at any tool. There are a lot of tools and a lot of modalities out there, and people are just kind of very fixated on the scale, partly because it's simple, it's cheap, it's available. You just walk in your bathroom and plop on it. There's, I understand the allure, um, but in, to some degree, the allure is exactly its deficiency. Um, I, I kind of use um, when people are, are un, ununderstanding of my initial kind of disdain of the scale – I kind of use uh, what I call the peanut butter and jelly analogy. Say, like if you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which is a concept that anyone can understand, just a couple of slices of bread, nut butter on one side, you know, fruit mess on the other side, you put it together, you got yourself a sandwich. Okay, you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you put it on a scale and it weighs one pound. Great, I have a one pound peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But now if somebody said, well, how much peanut butter did you use? Well, I don't know, I have a one pound sandwich. Well, how much jelly did you use? Well, I don't know. I have a one-pound sandwich. Don't you understand? And I say, I understand that. But what I don't understand is exactly what's in that sandwich. Okay, it's peanut butter and jelly, but how much of which? 
Is it the same every time? Did you just make it by eye? Give me some details. And so once you start getting that idea that you can measure a thing and yet still not know exactly what's in it, then you start to understand the weakness of the scale. You can get on a scale and weigh the same as you did yesterday, but you're momentarily your bladder's full. Well, that's not really body mass. So once that bladder's empty, now you got a different measurement. Now is that different measurement a loss of body fat? Is it a loss of muscle? Is it purely a loss of that body water? You know, is it a deviation in the gravity of the spinning of the earth? It's there's a lot of possibilities. So the scale can be valuable to people that don't need to make highly valuable measurements. You're just genuine, genuine, generally trying to trend your body weight lower. You're just, you know, the average home dad or home mom, and you just want to not weigh 200 pounds, and you just see a general trend, then that's an acceptable tool because you're measuring what you're trying to measure. You want to be a smaller person. Now, as you become like, for, uh, for instance, a physique athlete, it's not so much that you need to weigh less. It's not even that you need to be leaner. The reality is you need to appear a certain way. And a scale does not measure appearance. Uh, my grandfather was a, was a silly, silly little man. But um, he, people, he was a very little man. And people always ask him what he weighed. And he says, he always said, I don't know, a scale doesn't measure sexy. Yeah. And I always thought that was really relevant. It's just, it, it doesn't. It's the wrong tool to measure that thing. So I try to steer the, the demographic of athlete toward the requisite tool. If you're just a general purpose person, just dieting to not be fat, scale's completely acceptable. I do have some thoughts on how often it should be used and how it should be used. We could come to that. But as you move into other demographics, say if you're a weight classed you know, athlete, then a scale is obviously yeah. the correct tool. You're going to fight an MMA fight at 70 kilograms. You goddamn well better weigh 70 kilograms. You know, 72 is not acceptable. doesn't matter if you look like a million bucks, have veins in your abs. If you don't make weight, yeah. you don't fight. So it's a matter of using the correct tool for the right job. For instance, as a physique athlete, 99% of your job performance is presentation it's do i or do i not look like a winning physique athlete mm -hmm. and to do that a scale is a horrible tool literally as i bring an athlete into a bodybuilding show um you know if i have a 200 uh 100 kilogram you know 220 pound bodybuilder their weight could swing literally from 95 to 105 over the depletion, repletion, supercompensation period. So again, a scale is a terrible tool for the presentation side. It might be a valuable tool for me to know, you know, under the hood stuff. I want you to dehydrate this much. I want you to rehydrate this much. So I might use the scale to measure the science of manipulations. But at the end of the day, the thing we're really looking at is photographs. Mm -hmm. And, and then again, specific. People always shoot these little, you know, gym shots. They're like, oh, the lighting's just perfect. And it's just, you know, the humidity and the temperature. And like, that's a horrible way to do actual measurements. What you need to find is a place in your house, a hallway or a, a, a bathroom door or something that's never going to change. The lighting's never going to change. The background's the same. The color's the same. It's not going to be affected by ambient light. You know, ooh, in the morning I have more striation. No, I want the most generic, plain photo that you're going to look the same height, 
you're going to look the same color, and I want to put them side by side yeah. and then create a timeline that way. And then I can say, oh, over the last 14 days, your quads have done this, your, your glutes have done that. The other thing, there's no other way to make those measurements because, again, the judges are not going to run up on stage and ask you to step on a scale. The judges are going to look at your hamstrings and go, no, oh, you're fat. That's, that's what the judges are going to do. So you have to measure the presentation in which you're trying to bring to the event, whatever the event is. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that that's the modality. Um, so you have, you know, you have scale is, is a tool. Yeah. Um, you have calipers. Everybody's down on calipers. Oh, they're so hard to use. The formulas are inaccurate. And, and my, my, my answer to that is, all of those are valid, but no less valid or no more valid than the fallacies of the scale. So you just simply have another tool. Yes, yes it has some inaccuracies, but it's an additional tool. If you get on a scale and then you do some caliper work and you say both of these have trended lower or one of these has trended higher and lower, you can begin to make assumptions even in light of the errors. Um, you know, there, there's a, a kind of a scientific principle or, or hypothesis that if you make enough educated, well-informed well guesses, most of the errors balance out and you wind up with a relatively correct answer. Right. That's what we're doing here. Yes, the scale has weakness. Yes, the calipers have weakness. Yes, photos have weakness. But you've now got three reasonable measurements that can in concert begin to tell you something valid. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing we need need to start thinking. So you have scale, you have calipers, you have photos, you have other diagnostic tools. Electrical impedance is really is not very accurate, but it is a tool, it is useful. Probably tells you more about your momentary hydration than your actual momentary body fat, yeah. but even that is a valid tool. That's a valid measurement that could have applications to your performance. So, you know, it's not, Nothing. Um, and then you have, you know, higher diagnostic tools. You have bod pods, um, which are you know, reasonably accurate, does have a measure of cost and inconvenience, but they should be used strategically according to that. You don't want to pay, you know, $50 to measure your weight every day, but you might want to do that every three months. Okay. Um, same thing with we have DEXA, which is incredibly accurate, but it's also incredibly inconvenient, relatively expensive, and so on. But again, it might be something you want to use right before you begin your final preparation, your you know, you know, recomposition, supercompensation period, to actually measure the um, amount of body fat you've shed in total over the course of your diet. That could be very useful. Probably not in terms of moving forward. You're not going to be able to make major adjustments in your final two weeks. But it might give you some very solid understanding of how efficacious what you have done yeah. was and indicate whether you do or don't need to make changes for the next time. That's probably the most valuable information you could take away from all of this is not what do I need to fix now, it's what do I need to fix then. Most people don't think that far ahead. Mm -hmm. When I'm preparing somebody for a bodybuilding show, I'm actually thinking this is the best I can do right now, but I'm making notes for how I can make it better next time. And that, I believe, is my value. Most people get very proximal in their thinking. Yeah. They weighed this this morning. I look this right now, so on. And my thinking is, we've done the best we can now. What do we need to do to make it better next time? Mm -hmm. 
and that's the sort of thing. But but you know, going back to tools, there's all of these tools, and something I wanted to touch on is um, I was actually just counseling a client about this. Is uh, was was with calipers. He was yeah. like, you know, I, I don't have the same person to do it every time. And you know, when my girlfriend does it, I get this number, and when my training partner does it, I get that number. And and I, and I said, you know, you're probably wildly overcomplicating this. I was like, how about this? I was like, let's identify a point on your body where you carry some body fat, yeah. and that you can make the measurement. And so what we decided is you can always find your belly button and the point of your hip bone, the iliac crest. Yeah. Okay, those two, you can walk in front of a mirror and always get that right. I was like, how about exactly halfway between those two points, horizontally, you take a skin fold, you put calipers on it, and you get a measurement. Yes, it's only one measurement. It's not indicative of your whole body. There's a lot of weaknesses to it, but the strength is you can do it, you could do it right every single time, and it is a measurement of the surface body fat on you. Yeah. So if that number stays the same, you probably didn't make radical changes. If that number goes up or down, then you got fatter or skinnier. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's actually the concept of dumbing down a measurement to the point where it's more useful yeah. rather than the other way around. You know, you take nine sites around your body. Yeah, you have a much better picture of you head to toe but you also have nine opportunities to fuck it up yeah so there's there's a lot of ways to think about this and precision is not always the most complex answer sometimes it's the least complex answer yeah so just some some real quick off the top of my head thoughts on measurement tools but the two biggest i would recommend people deal with is um first and foremost Photos, because yeah. most of your people are physique athletes. Yeah. I apologize. No problem. I'm supposed to put that out of the room. I'm not very good at this. Um, first and foremost would be photos in regards to your clientele because they're they're bodybuilders. Yeah. But but to to take that one step further is first and foremost the one that's most appropriate to the goals you're seeking. Perfect. If you're badass and you just want to be smaller, that's the scale. If you're trying to reach a specific body composition, then that's calipers or DEXA. If you're trying to win a physique or or some sort of pageantry, then it's purely do you look the part? So start thinking more in terms of measuring the things you need to measure to succeed in your particular endeavor that's probably the foremost and then second is and this is probably where all of your people and probably even you and uh go wrong and that is misuse of the tool in that for instance the scale people get up and they get on scale every single morning that is a horrible horrible way to use that device Think about this. You just you're, you're in the midst of a big contest prep. Mm-hmm. You're you know genetically pretty average. You know you're not a super dieter, uh, nor are you horrible. Um, you're not super muscular, but nor are you a string bean. So I mean you're you're pretty middle of the bell curve of people that might want or need this information. Now, without me prompting you, how much body fat did you actually lose per week? Roundabout. Just throw out a number. Yeah, I mean absolutely no idea. Like, I couldn't even really guess. Well, I mean, you know, you dieted for, what, 16 weeks? Uh, yeah, so my first 
half of my contest prep. So people who've been watching Revive to Stage will know I dieted for 10 weeks. Um, so, so far, yeah, I've been dieting probably about 15 weeks. Okay. And from then till now, what's the change in your body weight? Uh, just over five pounds. Five pounds in 10 weeks. So what you're telling me is you literally didn't lose a pound per week. No. Okay. That's my point. Okay. You didn't lose a pound per week. Now think about how accurate the average scale is. Think about the deviations in your person just from day to day, what you ate yesterday, etc. Do you really think that you can measure one-seventh of a pound each and every morning? It's ludicrous. The differences in just stuff, what you ate yesterday, the humidity in the, the room you slept in, the amount of blankets you covered yourself with could have a greater impact on your momentary hydration and momentary body weight than the actual loss of body fat that you're hoping to measure. Mm -hmm. the, the, the margin of error is greater than the margin of accuracy. Yeah. That's proof positive that it's a horrible modality. Yet people will get on a scale once a day. Some people get on a scale three times a day. It's ludicrous. The, the, the very nature of the act is so slow, your measurements need to be much further apart. Maximum maximum one one time a week that's that's amazing that's the most you can get a meaningful deviation if you're not losing one pound per week how, how big of the change is going to be in one week well pretty fucking obvious it's yeah. going to be a pound or less that's a small margin literally i mean if you weigh 150 pounds that's you know less than one percent change is what you're trying to measure like that's very difficult so again, it's it's very re relevant and very important that you understand the value and the weakness of the device. So you know something like body weight once a week is probably enough. In reality, off season, I only tell people to weigh themselves once a month. Again, how fast are you going to gain muscle? Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you're drug, great genetics and great drugs, you're going to gain in a month, two pounds, three pounds. You know, a kilogram of muscle in a month is just an ass pile of muscle. I mean, literally, an yeah. ass pile. That's a bunch of muscle. Yet, you know, people are getting on a scale looking for it every 15 minutes. It's not relevant. Yeah. So, again, pictures could be done. Again, they're, you know, everybody has a cell phone. Everybody has a home. They're cheap. They're easy. It's something you could measure almost on a daily basis. And you no, know, it's not going to reflect changes in body fat, but it might change. It might reflect efficacious or not uh behaviors in you know your diet your activity your you know sleep patterns there's things that you could discern from that measure of data uh, an eighth of a pound of change in your body weight while you while you're sitting there rubbing your you know freshly fed belly is not valid so you know you start to put things in perspective measure your weight once a week measure your body fat you may be once a week, maybe every other week. You know, do a DEXA every three months. Those are sorts of things, that once you start to put them in perspective as to their value and their validity, then you can start to use them appropriately. And then, this is off topic to that, but I do want to throw this in because I, I find it incredibly relevant in, in the theme of the conversation. Yeah. And that is, then there are other relevant diagnostics, not so much to bodybuilding preparation, but general health and 
bodybuilding in general that people don't measure. Every client I have, one of the first things I ask them is, what's your resting pulse? And they look at me blankly, just no idea. Really? You have no idea? That's like the fundamental marker of human survival. Yeah. This. <clears throat> so you've got things like pulse and blood pressure and even body temperature, which are incredibly relevant, very fine measurements, and have an impact on your day-to-day -day life that nobody takes. Mm -hmm. I tell people to take their pulse literally every day. Yeah. Blood pressure two to five times a week I like three, uh, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday kind of thing. Uh, and then, you know, weigh themselves once a week and then do body fat every two weeks and do a DEXA every three months. And that way you get the most validity possible out of that particular tool. Cool. So that's that's kind of my thoughts on that. I don't know where else you want to go with that. I probably talk about it forever, but yeah. that's the structure. Well, I, is, it, I really like it. Um, something I do want to throw out there is your thoughts on, and I think a lot of our listeners will probably take this approach to the scale in that this is the way I tend to use it as a coach and use it with myself is taking it daily. Um, so not once a week, but literally every single day. Um, first thing in the morning under the same conditions and then taking a weekly average and then when you get closer to stage or you're looking at kind of muscle gain, you might take bi-weekly averages or even like monthly averages um, because the changes are so small. Do you think that's making that a more valid tool? Um, you know, it, it, again, you know, you're getting into like statistics in that point. Yes, that works, but so does just taking the measurement once every whatever that time frame is, rather than taking it every day and then going to the trouble of getting an average, you're basically just protracting the amount of work you need to do and the amount of worry you need to do where you probably could just take one measurement. Now, it does cause a certain amount of anxiety in that people are like, oh, I don't know what's going on, I don't know what's going on. But once you get over that mental hump and you realize that statistically you're really doing the same thing, yeah. most of it goes away. But what you're saying is valid, but something if you don't, you know, if your listeners and your viewers don't know me, I always take the easiest angle. Easiest sometimes is only, you know, 80 or 90% as efficacious as the hardest, but it's fucking easy. And it's much less difficult to fuck up. It's much, it's much easier to get compliance. I always find that on the long term, the easier yet valid root always generates better results. That is, without a doubt, my underlying theme is you can make something complicated, but it's usually just for the sake of making it complicated. I completely agree. And I think to not have to weigh in every day, I know I have clients and they, and even myself, sometimes we get like get anxious about the slight change in one day. And we know it's silly, like it's pointless. It's nothing, right? Yeah, absolutely. What I guess my only concern would be if, taking it okay, once a week or maybe every two weeks or something like that is, I mean, I think it's brilliant because it actually gets you to kind of trust the process and what's going mm -hmm. on. And you don't need to make changes that frequently that are going to rely on daily changes in scale weight. What if there's like a weird fluctuation or on that one day you weigh in, it's just like, it's one of those high fluctuations and it's maybe the it's... time period's not long enough to have got around that issue. Well, there's, there's a number of, caveats to that first of all one of one of the other counsels i would give is 
okay, we're going to make this measure. We're going to measure your body weight once a week. Now, having said that, let's go out of our way to make that once a week as contiguous and similar as possible. Cool. So we'll decide, we'll look at your daily, your weekly plan and say, all right, you know, you live kind of a puritanical life. Sunday is your day off. And so what I want you to do is get out of bed Sunday, go directly to the bathroom, go directly to the scale. That's going to be your mode of operation. So we've eliminated as much extraneous everything as we can. Now it's still possible that behaviors Friday or Saturday are going to influence that whatever that's true but that's also why you collect the other data so now you can put that all together maybe in a spreadsheet something i'm very big on and you see if you have more than one aberrant spike now you might need to look and go ah something is amiss in my planning if it's just one aberrant spike you know your pictures look pretty similar your body fat's pretty similar, but you just have that one day of weight, you're going to say that's probably an aberration of the scale. Yeah. So it's a matter of, again, having the data, having the understanding of what it represents, and having it also, this is also really important with record keeping, having the data in a presentable fashion that you can understand it. Yeah. Uh, I'm never, it's again a little off topic, but so many people keep these clever little training journals but that's it. They write it down and then you just put it away. No, you write it down and then you put it in some sort of format where you can look at it yeah. and go, I did this. And then this happened. I did this. And then my shoulder hurt. I did this. And then my bench press went up. So you need to have it in a fashion that's interpretable. Data is the secret of everything. If you can read it and absorb it and understand it, just having a mountain of fucking data is useless. Yeah. So that's that's really key. So you need to put this data in a in a coherent fashion and theoretically everything's going to give you a picture of, you know, what's going on. If your pictures look great but your body weight's up a little bit, so what? Yeah. My pictures look great. If my pictures look shit and my body weight's up a little bit, now I got to go, "Oh, what what did I fuck up?" and then you got to go back and again, look at your data because the past is well, fucking past. So you got to look at the data because that's the remnant of the past and interpret from that what happened. Yeah, no, I, I think this is a really, really good thing for me to hear as a coach. It's maybe definitely question about how I go about things. I think it will make people think about how they go about things because often I find people get tempted to make changes too soon because they are measuring things in too close of proximity. And by having a weekly weigh-in, like you've got that whole week where you don't have that stress about thinking about what's my weight doing today? What's it doing today? What's it doing today? Whereas you can actually just chill out. And in some ways, um, and this this is just me speaking because I'm far from a psychologist and I'm far from normal in my own personal psychology. But I've found, or at least I've interpreted, that spreading out the measurements does create a certain anxiety, but that anxiety ultimately winds up being turned toward, wow, I got to get this right. I got to do this right for my big way in. And I actually find that it tends to make people more effective over the course of a week because they don't have that moment-to-moment verification, that little pat on the head that they're doing right. And so they really buckle down and do what they're supposed to do, and then they kind of see that measurable change in their measurement as almost the reward. Yeah, they're like, ah, see, I, you know, I, oh, I pinned it. I did. I've dropped two pounds. I, you know, whereas that moment-to-moment thing is kind of just a, 
uh, I'm sort of on track. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm not fucking up. It's just so instead of this, I'm not fucking up. They actually get, ooh, I scored. Yeah. You know, and it changes the subtly changes the long term psychology of the method. Yeah. And that can be very valuable. No, I absolutely love that. And I've, I think to use a phrase from someone else who came on the show, they were saying about their athletes and if they could blindfold them from the scale so they couldn't see it at all, then that would actually be better. And I guess in a sense, this is what you're doing short term. At least you're blindfolding them. So yeah, exactly. it's perfect. Exactly. And then giving a reveal far enough apart that they could see the effects of their efforts. Yes. Then they get that momentary vindication. They go back to work which is really what we need. We need more work, less worry. Yes. That's the that's the secret to it all. Completely. Um, so, no, I, no, I absolutely love that. I think that's brilliant. And the only other thing I wanted to add was, do you at all use uh, girth measurements? So like tape measures, anything like that? Again, it's very athlete specific. Okay. Um, you know, for a track and field athlete, it means nothing. Um, for, well, that's actually a lie. For instance, if you were a thrower, Hip circumference and you know uh, limb circumference can have an effect on your angles of pull and your geometry. You know you need a certain you know uh, your radii for release. You know like a hammer throw or something. Right. It's not really my area specifically. Usually what I'll say is talk to your throwing coach, get me some dimensions that we need to meet, and then I'll do that. I'm not really the guy that's going to sit there with a protractor and work this shit out for them. Um, that I just, you know, I think other, not that I couldn't or wouldn't, I think that there are people much more qualified to make those determinations. I'm more qualified to make them a reality in the physical manifestation. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important everybody stays within their bounds. You know, don't take training advice from your diet coach. Don't take diet advice from your training coach, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I won't, I won't say it's not relevant to most athletes, but in general, it's not really the thing you're measuring. Most athletes, it's a weight class or something of that nature. Now, where it does come in handy is, for instance, if you have a semi-experienced bodybuilder and we take their pictures and we say, well, you know, what we think presentationally is we need a little bit more circumference on your quads to counterbalance the width of your shoulders, et cetera. So we might, just like the scale, set some relatively vague, measurable dimensions. All right, your quads are presently whatever. They're presently you know, 28 inches. Let's bring them up to 30 inches mm -hmm. as our starting point before we start worrying about body you know, leanness and that sort of stuff. So it can be relevant in a... But again, like the scale in a very crude measurement, you know, it's another way, it's another diagnostic tool to add a marker. Yes. yes we think we did that. We adjusted your proportions in such a way that we, we think we did that. Now let's get lean, let's get dry, get all these other things and then see what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And then again, like I said, for thinking for the future, now we can adjust our numbers and say, oh, well, maybe we didn't quite do it enough. Maybe we need to go to 31 inches or maybe we need to this or that. Or maybe we were wrong in general, and it's actually that your ass is too big, or your, you know, whatever. So it's, it's, it's again, it's a matter of using a tool to its benefit and avoiding its biggest weakness. Okay. You know, just going, oh, I got a twenty-inch arm. Well, yeah, but are you a fat ass? Twenty-inch arms are not very valuable if you're a big, you know, fucking marshmallow. But the other side of the coin is we've had Mr. Olympias with eighteen-inch arms. 
that you know they always always reflect on that wow wait a minute maybe a 20 inch arm isn't the the trophy you know so it's a matter of you know what tool is going to make the measurement relevant to you reaching that goal Mm -hmm. would there be any kind of efficacy in thinking if say your certain measurements have kind of either gone up or gone down and other ones have stayed stable or something like that where you could determine whether there's been like muscle growth say your waist circumference comes in but like your quads come up in in amalgam yes if you could say i have all of these measurements and only these have moved you know for instance my body weight's stable and my leanness is stable but my leg circumference is bigger you can reasonably assume something locally has happened to your legs Whereas if you, you know, if your body weight changed measurably and your leanness changed measurably, that circumference measurement's probably pretty invalid because you can't say exactly how much body fat or body water or body whatever was around, you know, in, in proximal to that measurement. So again, it's a matter of looking at these things in concert. Perfect. You, you, you see what I mean? hundred percent. So rather than kind of a lot of people, like we've said, will focus on the scale and then ignore or not measure any of these other things. Whereas what we're saying is just like you have to take in the entire body of literature and you can't cherry pick one study. You need to take everything. It's it's always that way. And just like science, um, there's actually a a real big misconception. I just heard Mike Isretel talking about it the other day and it really made me smile is in science, it's actually very relevant that you spend more time dwelling on the material that you don't agree with than it is dwelling on the material you agree with because you already agree with that. Yeah. That's a verification of what you think you know. Now you need to pay attention to the material that disagrees with you. Do they have a point? Is it valid? How many of them are there? If it's just one asshole, all right, ignore it. But if there's a legion of people with a different viewpoint, it's very important that you see what that viewpoint is. Same thing here. You're taking a lot of measurements so you can find the dissent. Why is that different? What does that mean? Is that, am I making that mistake? Is it a mistake in my measurement? Is it a mistake in my interpretation of the measurement? Or is it just the way things are going and I need a new understanding of what's going on so there's a lot to this you know putting a tape measure around your arm or jumping on a scale are very simple but the overall intellectual understanding can be rather complex yeah no completely just like you found um not not that you know that i'm wonderful but what i am is a third party i'm different and i have an outside perspective yes and so i interject some material that you know is contrary to your momentary worry and your momentary mindset that can change the way you evaluate things and believe me i have that too i call people with i've done this and done this and this is my result what the fuck's going on and then they're like all right you're actually really stupid step (laughs) back you know and so it's not you know it's not a matter of oh you know just pay me i'm a fucking genius i am a fucking genius but (laughs) That's not the point. The point is you definitely need a bigger perspective, and that almost always requires either a very, very clean slate in terms of your, your viewing perception or an outside person, and usually the latter. Yeah. No, I have to agree, and so the listeners are aware, like when I first came across Mike Isretel, for example, he was definitely someone who provided very contrary ideas to my beliefs um even when i first came across like alan aragon and lyle mcdonald who i know is a good friend of yours like when i yeah. first found them it was like 
I don't like what they're saying, but the more I kind of then looked at what they were saying, it really helped open my view. So this is why people like you, Broderick, who are giving me these different ideas, are I actually seek pe- these sort of people out because it just helps me learn so much more than I could otherwise. Absolutely, and and you know, and again, this is going to be a little 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 view into my really bad persona underneath underneath all this glee and happiness. Um, there's also the concept of know thy enemy. Even, even if you really are committed to not liking and not agreeing with these people, it's still very valid to understand their perspective so that you can argue them effectively. So it's always a win to know what the other guy's thinking. One, you might learn something, and mm-hmm. two, you might learn a way to argue them just a little bit fucking better. Yeah. So... <laughs> No, it's perfect. And, I know, uh, but I don't. I'm not a healthy person. <laughs> um, to move on to the next kind of, well, where we're kind of moving on to is how do you identify when someone needs a change made in their nutrition or in their training? What things are you looking at if we take like maybe fat loss and then muscle gain? Okay. Um, you're, you're talking about the mystical, magical plateau. Yes. In, in a sense. Um, I wrote a little sarcastic uh, little piece I posted on Facebook a year ago or so. Um, kind of highlighted both my disdain for the mindset of bodybuilding, dieting, and uh, also religion. I love to make fun <laughs> of both of those things at the same time. And I, I, I titled it, um, Peter, I Can See Your House From Up Here, which is if you, you're in a different country, so you may not be aware of the joke, but you know it's a joke about the crucifixion and uh, that, you know, he, he could, you know, he kept calling for Peter. And the reason was he wanted to tell him he could see his house from up on the cross. And not a very funny joke, but it was appropriate to the title of the art- article. And anyway, if you look up the definition of a plateau, it is a flat, elevated area of terrain. Okay? That's what a plateau is. Most people think of it as this kind of, you know, butt rest where you're 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 immobile and you can't move and you're there's nowhere to go because you'll fall off the edge. It's a precipice. But the reality is it's an elevated vantage point. It's an area where you are elevated above the rest of the train. And the reality is that then gives you the ability to see farther. It may be a momentary log jam of movement. Oh, I can't take an extra step, I'll fall off the end. But from where I am, I could see my destination. And I couldn't from down there on the ground. So the reality is, in an interpretation, a plateau is actually one of the most valuable places you can be. You're now so far advanced, you can actually see your destination, your goal. You can see the target you're trying to get to. Yes, there's a momentary impediment, but you're now close enough to actually visualize where you're going. So... In a sense, I actually praise a plateau. It means you've gotten three quarters of the way there. Right. You're now close enough that you could see the finish line. Now what we need to do, once we really, and this is key and we'll come back to it, that you're really at a plateau, and that's something yes. that we really cover, um, is once you're at that moment, now it's that final regrouping, re-strategizing to reach that last bit. But the beauty is you can now see it. That means you can see the course. You can figure out your navigational method to get there. 
It's no longer blind luck. The first three quarters of a diet is just trust. I know if I eat less, I'll lose weight. I know if I keep my protein high, I shouldn't lose muscle. I know if I take Anadrol, I'll swell up. You know, whatever. You know these things, and they're relatively reliable. Mm -hmm. But as you get closer, the measurements, the, the, the adjustments need to get finer, and that requires vision. You need yes. to actually see the terrain ahead. Oh, it's a left turn, it's a right turn, it's whatever, a duck, you know, whatever. You can't just go into that shit blind. So in reality, from a from a conceptual or or, or even I don't I don't know the war, I'm, la- I'm lacking the word and I'm usually such a word guy, but in in, in context, you know, almost from a religious point of view, the the the, the plateau is your goal. That's where you want to be. You want to be at a plateau six weeks out because now you can regroup. You're far enough out that you have time to regroup, but you're close enough that when you regroup, you can get there in one jump. Like, to me, a plateau is the magic. If you didn't plateau, I would say, well, we shagged something back there. We need to adjust that. So from from, from the beginning point of this conversation, I would say that a plateau is not bad. It's really good. Right. And just like the diagnostic tools, though, is it's good if you use it properly. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that properly is very much like you did, you know, three weeks ago. Is mm, am I stuck? Do I need to make a change? That was your moment of plateau. You were at a point where what you were doing was no longer working. Not that you were incapable of moving forward. It's just that you were incapable of moving forward in that previous paradigm. Mm-hmm. Now make some adjustments, clear your head, maybe reduce things, you know, for that big final push, boom, progress. So a plateau is good and that's its purpose, is to give you that strategy moving forward, the vision to make your final changes of relevance. Relevance, okay. Now what I said about making sure you're actually at a plateau, that's incredibly important. Again, I am a biologist. I'm not a guru. I'm not a fucking. I, I, at the end of the day, I'm a biologist. I think about everything about in a biological context. I literally, I raise my children, and I think of biology, how things, how systems work, how group behaviors work, how systems interact. That's how I make my decisions. It's mostly an advantage, occasionally a disadvantage, because people sometimes step out of the realms of biology and you know, use this fucking nugget at the top of the deck, uh, other than for the best benefit of biology. So it, it does have detriments, but in general. Um, so keep in mind, biological systems are not like mechanical systems. Mechanical systems, you push the button on the wall, shit starts whirring, yeah. the elevator comes. Every time it works that way. But even then, keep in mind, it's still, even though it's a mechanical system, it doesn't come, you don't push the button and the doors open. There's still some weights whirring and cables moving and, you know, and it takes a minute to get it from where it is to where it's going. And that's a very efficient, mechanically designed system. Now think about biology where you have, everything's a feedback loop and everything has to talk to another thing. It's like one of those Rube Goldberg devices, you know, like the game Mousetrap, you know, you flip this thing over here and a thousand things happen and then a swing and then a flaming arrow and then, and then finally the the doors open and you get on the thing. That's how biology works. I mean, I'm I'm dramatizing it, but yet I'm not. Yeah. You you know what I mean? You know, it's not as simple as, Ooh, you swallow a Diana ball and muscle starts growing. 
No, there's a long series of events. It gets to your liver. Your liver does some stuff. It gets to your bloodstream. It gets to the binding proteins. The binding proteins release it. It gets to the target tissue. And then ribosomes do some stuff. And then th- and then there's there's cyclic AMP and there's all that. So it's not push a button, open a door. There's a long series of steps. And my point is, just because you momentarily are not seeing action doesn't mean that all that shit's going on and the flaming arrows in transit. So you have to really wait until you know I've played my last card and now nothing has happened. Yet. That that's the moment when you go, all right, now I need to play a different card. I got I gotta do something different. So a lot of times you know people go, Oh, I haven't made any progress in two weeks. I'm like, wait another. Wait, wait, wait one more. Because it's only then that you can be sure that either you aren't making progress or the progress that's been following you finally catches up. And that's the situation you were just in is you had done everything right. It's just, you were, you were a week ahead of yourself. You were intellectually and, and emotionally a week ahead of all the processes that you put in place. And then when you stop to take a breath, it kind of hits you in the ass. Well, look at that. so you have to consider that. And that's hard. It's one of those things where you have to have some trust and belief that you're a little cleverer than your surroundings. Um, that is, again, a place where somebody like myself can make their money is reinforce that, you know, you have done everything right. It's unlikely that this is it. Let's, let's, let's wait one more. Let's hold on one more. So it's really important that your perception of a plateau is a plateau yes and then it's also good to understand that once you are literally plateaued that's good not bad but your work but now your work begins mm-hmm. both intellectually and in your endeavor side and so identifying that plateau is that using all of these tools that you've been using to assess and they all Absolutely. say the same thing exactly and that's the thing is it, much like, um, you know, to, to use analogy or to use to step out of this, you're talking about complex systems and complex systems behave very similar across the board. For instance, the stock market is an excellent example of a complex system. You have millions of people, thousands and ten thousands of companies all doing different things, but all trying to achieve the same general goal. And that's make more money for themselves. So you look at these all these different stocks doing all these different things, and you occasionally see the one go crazy and then lose its ass, and you know, and that could be the scale, or that could be the calipers, or that could yeah. be whatever. But in general, you see the net wealth of companies moving in a direction. That's what we're talking about here. Yes. So what you find is, what you'll get is. Ever, ever moving toward that plateau, you'll get more and more of your vectors, your measurements, trending in the direction of staleness. Yes. They'll all be doing you know, something. And so one, eh, notice it, but don't get worried. Two, ooh, I better pay attention. You get three things all going in the same direction. My scale, my calipers, and my pictures aren't very different. Yes. Now you can say, well, I'm stalling. Mm-hmm. But I would also say stalling is not stalled. So just one more and then be sure that I'm stuck. Take a breath, plan it out, move forward. Perfect. And I guess is there, I guess your decision to get past this plateau or rather continue on on your journey mm-hmm. is 
would it differ depending on why you think you have plateaued? Absolutely. And and also on your goal, you know, yeah. where are you actually going? Is it a bodybuilding show? Well, then you you're 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 fixed by by temporal issues. You yeah. you must be there at a given time or you you're you know, or you failed. So it's it's largely, you know, what is the goal? Why is the goal? And then in that context, then you can look at, okay, why did I fail? Did I diet too hard? Did I diet not hard enough? Right. Did I train too hard? Did I not train hard enough? Is it a combination of those things? So it's, it's again, and that's all, again, highly predicated on the quality of records you kept. Yeah. Like, for instance, talking about the pulse. Yeah, it's not relevant to your, you know, bodybuilding prep, but is it? Mm-hmm. Because – Pulse is a very solid indicator of systemic stress. If you looked at your training over a period of time and your pulse stayed relatively stable, that's suspicious because as you're getting more and more stressed, you should get more and more elevation in your pulse. So you could maybe infer from extra datums that you've collected cleverly that uh, maybe my training wasn't actually as hard as I thought it was. Or you could look at it and make the other assumption. Holy shit, my pulse climbed 20 points over the course of this time. I've been spending two hours a day on a treadmill. I should be in awesome shape, but my pulse is higher. Ooh, that's indicative of physical stress. Maybe I'm overtraining. So, again, it's a matter of having these datas, having the ability to compare them and create real, relevant trends. Yeah. And I guess with the similar, I was going to say with the temperature, I remember I dieted for like over six months and I was freezing cold all the time. Whereas now I'm warm and it's lovely. And uh, I know body temperature, like first thing in the morning can be indicative of like metabolism health, essentially. At at large, absolutely. And and, and even quality of sleep. People forget that. Your your body temperature upon waking is highly indicative of metabolism, which is also reflective of momentary conditions, which is sleep. That's what you just did. So having a stable morning temperature can reflect stable sleep patterns, which is very conducive to performance. And the converse, having shitty sleep almost always results in a decrement in your performance, and that will inhibit your ability to meet any sort of physical-minded goal. So again, it's a matter of data collection, understanding the value of the data, and having the ability to interpret it in a relevant fashion. Um, Yes, it's high-level thinking. Yes, it's a level of complexity most people aren't comfortable with. Most people want to just go to the gym or take a pill or do whatever and get their results. And that's fine. If you're that person, I'm not busting your balls. I'm just saying you're not going to win. Yeah. That's all. I don't, you know, and that's fine. We need losers just like mm-hmm. we need winners. I'm not giving you shit. I'm just saying that, you know, when people pay me, it's not to lose. Yeah. So we do this stuff. And I guess in this situation, we're now talking about a scenario in which we either decide to push harder or pull back. Um, so if you're well, show- you know, what? I, w- I want to clarify that you're yeah. yes, it's a time to make decisions of efficacy. You know, more training, less training, harder training, whatever. But I never connotated, I never put it into context of not as hard or even pulling back. It's still hard. There's yeah. there's a measure of effort involved 
even in the even if it is truly in restraint, that yeah. requires effort. No, I never connotate things as oh, this is the easy part because there is, there should not be an easy part yeah. preparing for an athletic endeavor. That's not the right attitude, and it's even just not right in general. It more appropriately might be it's a time to redirect my efforts. Yeah, you know, I'm going to redistribute this same birth of energy more toward my training or more toward my diet or more toward my presentation or my tanning or my emotional state or my bank account or whatever, but it's all for the purpose of achieving this goal. It's never, oh, I fucking, I'm good. I'm just going to kick no. back this week. No, no, no. That's goofy shit you hear on other websites. It's not true. It just, in, my, in my view, it's not true. If there's ever a time when you can just put your hands in your pockets and whistle, then you, that's where you've quit. You're done now. No, I think, I think that was actually really good that you pulled me up on that because often I actually personally found sometimes, and I find it hard to actually like taking a deload or the taper week. I know we've discussed deloads before and the distaste for that word, but taking that week is actually hard to Absolutely. actually take that. Right, exactly. Restraint is its own variety of effort. Never think of it as you know, you're taking it easier, you're doing, that's that's a negative mindset. Um, and I don't want to sound like some kind of goofy self-help guru, because I'm really not, but the reality is, this shit is hard. Yeah. That's why other people aren't doing it. That's why we don't have legions of people with stage-ready bodies. It's, there's a reason, it's this shit is hard. So the, you know, restraint or regrouping or reprioritizing is still huge effort. If there's no easy day. That, that I think that's very relevant. No, completely. Because I think, especially as bodybuilders, sometimes the easier actual action is to work what we deem as harder, like pushing yes. calories lower, pushing yes. training more. Whereas actually sometimes the harder decision, which seems on paper easier is to pull back. So no, I think that's a, a really good distinction. And just to kind of, we're coming to the, the hour, um, but to talk about muscle gain, is yes. how do you kind of go about identifying a stool in kind of muscle gain or is there a time at which you just think it's not worth continually pushing calories or anything like this? That's actually probably something we should tackle as an entirely separate show. Okay. Because, and, and, I, and I'm happy to touch on it, but that's all I'll do yeah. because it's really a vast subject. Awesome. The problem with muscle gain is – Muscle gain, in a sense, is an amalgam of a lot of things. For instance, you could have a period where your circumference of a muscle hasn't particularly gone up. Your body weight hasn't particularly gone up. Your body compensation hasn't comp composition rather hasn't particularly changed. But you're able to squeeze out a couple of extra reps. You're able to do a little bit more volume. So your gym numbers are somehow changing. Yet it's not yet manifested in some sort of measurable accruement of muscle. But it's hard to argue that those numerical statistical changes in performance won't eventually manifest into actual muscle. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say that if I'm using 10 extra kilograms for the same scheme, somehow that's going to result in more muscle eventually. It almost has to, even from just a logical point of view. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard to say that I've truly stalled. It, it, it's almost you know, unimaginable to me that every single marker 
your body weight, your body fat, your circumference, your gym numbers, your rest period, the way you feel while performing it, everything's completely static in such a dynamic creature as a living being. So it's very hard for me to say what is actually a stall in terms of muscle gain. Mm-hmm. You know, you could say, yes, my body weight is stalled or my whatever is stalled, but there has to be some vector in what you're doing that has not. And that might be pursuable for an additional period of time. And even more relevant is, okay, so I'm making gym progress. My bench press is going up slightly. So you really pursue that. And then lo and behold, that in, that increment in performance later manifests itself in muscle tissue. And now the whole thing lurches forward. Yeah. So it's hard. I don't want to say that, oh, you know, stalling never happens. No, that's foolish. But what I'm saying is much like really, really knowing you're on a plateau, you have to really, really be convinced you've stalled in every possible modality. And then you need to stop and take an adjustment. But that's usually a lot further than people think it is. It's just, it usually is that, you know, it's like putting the brakes on on a train. That son of a bitch slides for a long time. It's big, heavy. It's, you know, it's bulky piece of machinery. And that's what we've got. And ironically, the, the, the analogy actually carries through even more is regular people have regular masses. And so their reaction curves are relatively regular. They do something and then the result is pretty proximal. But you yourself, by virtue of being a bodybuilder, are bulkier. It's like that train. It just slides a lot longer because it's fucking bigger. Yeah. And so the results are not always as proximal as people want them to be. And they're surprised that, you know, it's funny. You hear this a lot of times with these uh, change your workout assholes. You know, oh, you got to change your exercises every. And and, I, and I'm, I'm saying you're changing shit so quick. You're getting results from four exercises ago. You you the, the the shit you were doing the high bar squats you were doing a month ago are just now manifesting it, and you're blaming it on these dipshit you know ball balancing, juggling pistol squats. And it's <laughs> not. It's, it's it's so it's a it's really important that you realize that as you progress everything. The lag times and the margin areas just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Amazing. And that's relevant. No, so. perfect. And I think, yeah, we could talk a lot on this. I know we already discussed kind of the delayed response, like the, the response curves of these different effects. And so we'll leave the listeners with kind of that little sprinkling of kind of leave them on the cliffhanger so they will want you back on. Um, and we definitely want to get you back on. And please, guys, if you've enjoyed this, if you've enjoyed Broderick, please drop a comment below. Please drop questions because I'm sure Broderick's more than happy to come on again and answer questions, which would be really, really cool and valuable. So yeah, I just want to say a big thank you for Broderick. Big thank you for the listeners for tuning in um, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks everybody.